<laughs> Do you know what? Joy is the most contagious thing I know. It will even shine through the thickest of face masks. I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. Well, I have to say, it's hot in here. <laughs> the studio is roasting. Uh, I'm recording this uh, late afternoon, early evening, and one of the hottest days of the year, and I've had to turn off the aircon because it was making a noise and irritating me in the headphones. Uh, so the place is absolutely roasting, but that's not going to quell my spirits. I'm incredibly, incredibly cheerful uh, this afternoon. In fact, I'm incredibly cheerful this week. It has been a lovely, lovely week. So we're back at the hearing dogs. I've been there all morning photographing puppies in the sunshine. And there's not much that's more cheerful than photographing puppies in the sunshine. This wonderful charity. Uh, they've got their challenges just at the moment. There aren't that many dogs coming through because they can't socialise them, of course, at the moment. So generally, each and every puppy is, is, is sent out and lives with actually several people, usually at different stages, so that they're completely socialised. They are used to being out in the community. And of course, at the moment, that's really tricky. Uh, but we are back there photographing some of their sponsor campaigns, and it is simply wonderful. Uh, Michelle is back. Sarah is back. Uh, we've unfurloughed the team, which just makes me very, very happy. It's no longer just me sitting in the studio on my own all day. Although it is right now, so it's quiet, so I can do some recording. Uh, but everyone's back in. Uh, the cleaners are back. Trudy and Beetle, yes, that's their names, Trudy and Beetle, uh, are in and they just make me laugh. And of course, one of the things we have to do at the moment to be able to have clients in since the slight change in the rules is the place has to be absolutely immaculate. So once a week, our cleaners come in and give this a real good a good solid clean. And then in between each of our client sessions, uh, we have to scrub everything down. And if there's any uh, materials and things, they have to go off and be washed and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's going to be an interesting time. There's no doubt about that. But it is so nice to be able to see clients again. Uh, we're having to work with it. Obviously, our capacity is reduced. I'm not a high volume studio. And for once, I think I got that strategy about right because. Uh, I couldn't fit, you know, we can only fit a few sessions in a day. And that actually doesn't change things for us very much. I'm not a studio that ever did. I mean, I did occasionally did three sessions in a day, but I'd get really cross if it got to four. <laughs> I'd just get frustrated. Uh, I like to spend my time with the clients. I like the sessions. Uh, the session I did on Saturday, the, the couple had driven halfway across the UK to get to here to have a session. And so it was a three hour session. Um, and it's really nice at the moment because we're not full of back-to-back -back, uh, bookings, uh, then I can spend the time with them and really enjoy creating images and the whole experience. Uh, so we're now running at a capacity of about two clients a day. And by two clients, I mean either a reveal or a shoot. So I can do two reveals or I can do two shoots, but I can't do any more than that simply because it's very tricky for us to keep the two metre distancing, although today it has gone down to a metre, but to keep safe distancing with any more than that in the building. And so we've taken the decision just for a moment that we will do a maximum of two client uh, contacts or two client meetings or shoots a day. And I think actually that will suit us pretty well. And on top of that, it's a little bit easier than I thought it was going to be in the sense that so many people are now working from home. 
that we can use that to do the sessions midweek. Whereas last year, we'd have been battling it out at the weekends and then the weeks are a little bit quieter. Right now, we're very successfully getting people in during the week as much as we are at the weekend. So that evens my week out. It steadies things across the week and that just makes things much, much more comfortable. So hopefully uh, from that point of view, uh, the lockdown will actually work with us rather than against us. But of course, we're, we're waiting to the 4th of July for the makeup artists and hairdressers and everybody uh, to be able to do their thing because one of the biggest pushbacks we're getting from our clients is that they want to have a haircut and have their hair coloured. <laughs> More than anything else, uh, it's about their hair. And I kind of get that. You should see my hair at the moment. It's it's completely wild, but I'm just owning it. I'm just pretending that I'm a student again uh, and uh, got wavy hair. Uh, which makes me which makes me laugh. So it is really lovely this week. Everything just feels better. The sun is shining. We have clients in the building. I have images going through uh, Lightroom and Photoshop. Uh, the hearing dog stuff is just beautiful, and it's making me smile. So on to on that note, actually, on to this week's podcast, which is really about joy, about laughter and happiness and how important it is. So let me take you back to when I was 13 years old and I was allowed to get a paper round. So uh, I don't know what the law is uh, everywhere, but for me, I wasn't allowed a paper round. Now, whether that was a legal thing or whether it's because mum and dad wouldn't let me or the post office wouldn't employ me, I've no idea. But I think it was the law. I don't know that I was allowed to do a paper round until I was 13. But the minute I was 13, I put my, my name down at the local post office to do a paper round. And I actually continued doing that paper round pretty much until I left school because I really liked it. I loved the discipline of getting up really early. I loved the solitude. I loved being on my own. I loved the peace. And of course, back then, there was no Walkman. Yeah, I mean, I didn't own one at that stage. I mean, I guess, you know, a couple of years into it, I probably did. And I'd then um, do the paper round with music blaring into my into my teenage years. Uh, but when I started it, I certainly didn't. There's no mobile phones. Um, you know, the list, the list that I had for the papers to deliver was a grubby old bit of paper that had been handed down from paperboy to paperboy. And occasionally, sort of once every couple of years, this thing would get redrawn by an enthusiastic paperboy. I, I bet I did at some point redraw it. But when I was in, when I inherited it, it was just a dirty piece of paper and everything was written in pencil so that you could rub it out when there was a change to the order. And this list just had each house name in the order that you would walk it and the papers they had on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, I think the way they did it from recollection was that, that you had the regular papers and then exceptions like a Sunday paper where they had something different on a Sunday. And this was North Wales, so the house names weren't numbers. Or like I live now in the middle of England, I've got a, a beautiful old cottage called uh, Oak Beam Cottage. Well, this was North Wales, so the names were more like Brynhovrid and Penabryn and Rydvach. And on top of the fact that the names were fairly long, uh, and I mean, I lived back there, so, it, you know, you're kind of used to them, but they were still quite long names. It was also quite a long hill to climb. And it was cold most mornings. And that was the joy of it, you know, it was quiet. Uh, usually it was damp, <laughs> it was cold, and I'd head over to the um, post office and wait for my round to be sorted. So I'd usually get there before the deliveries. They would hand me my yellow bag, and I say yellow, 
it must have been yellow once. It certainly wasn't by the time I got it. It was kind of a grubby, greeny black where a myriad of paper boys and and ink blackened hands had handled these bags. So they were no longer the day glow safety reflective bags that they should be, but they were just this dull off yellow. Uh, I'd be handed my bag and I'd get my list and I'd head off around the village. And it was just lovely. I mean, obviously I didn't have a Walkman, so there's no music, uh, but I used to love reading the cartoons on the back of each newspaper. So there would be Peanuts on one, uh, Andy Cat, Pub Dog was another. And if I was daring and had the time, and it wasn't wet, because I didn't like to get, you get away with the outside of a newspaper being wet, but if the inside of the newspaper was wet, your customer would know you'd been reading it. But I used to open up the Daily Express to admire the work of a cartoonist called Giles. Now, I'm not sure at that age I really understood all of the layers of humour in Giles's cartoons. They're beautifully crafted drawings, usually a commentary on family life, Most, more often than not. He wasn't really a political cartoonist, but his work was genius. Even to this day, I have a collection of his books that one of my grandfathers bought me when he spotted how much I loved it. And I think the thing I loved it the most was that he used to draw this old lady, the grandmother of the family, was a severe old battle axe with whose face seemed to hang upside down. She never smiled. The corners of her mouth were permanently pointed towards the floor and she looked exactly like my grandmother. She looked exactly like my dad's mum. Now, my dad's mum was full of joy. She was a lovely lady, but her face would settle into this sort of miserable frown even if she was happy, that was how it settled. And Giles used to draw this old lady exactly like that. And I just, just used to love it. And I'm sure some of the things I now find visually interesting are based on the way he used to construct these cartoons. And I used to love it. So I'd get up incredibly early in the morning, sort of 5.30, I guess. I think I used to get my papers uh, at about 6.15. I think the delivery lorries got there at about 6 uh, and then the postmaster would have them all sorted into their piles by about 6.15. So at about 5.30, I'd be up and very carefully, I'd open the front door and lift the bottle of milk that would be sitting there from the uh, delivery. And like carrying a bottle of nitroglycerin, I'd gently, so gently and so carefully creep it through into the kitchen where I'd so with, with utmost, utmost care, I would peel off the foil top. And like some kind of, I don't know, mad professor, I would siphon off this potent drug. I'd siphon off the cream onto my cereal. <laughs> it would come out with a glug. And I'd be so happy. And I'd eat my cereal and head off onto my paper round. Now, of course, now, and it's dreadful. I mean, probably I'm going to die of a heart attack by the time I'm 60. But that's what I used to do. And on top of that, I guess maybe I was doing my family a favour because they didn't know it, but they were drinking semi-skim milk <laughs> for most of the time I lived at home. Uh, but that was that. So off I go. And of course, back then you had to learn the round, really, because you didn't have the electronics. You just had this grubby bit of paper with all these house names on it. And the list invariably... Um, was illegible. You couldn't read it. 
and with names like, you know, Bryn Hovred and Penna Bryn and Reid Vach and all of these things that you would uh, have to read, it was really, really important that you learned the list. And so I did. Um, on a Sunday, I remember a Sunday, Sundays were awful because it was at this time, it was around about this time that the papers invented the Sunday supplements. So your one bag walk went to a two bag walk and these bags now were so heavy. I don't know, what you, you wouldn't get away with this now, but the bag was so heavy that the circulation would stop in my arms. So to get the bags off, to be able to get to the papers, what I had to do was sort of crouch down until the, the, the two paper bags hit the floor and the straps would slacken. And then I just had to wait for a minute for the blood to start flowing back to my fingertips uh, so I could haul out a paper and walk up the drive to someone's front door and wedge as best you could. Because, of course, this is a village of old cottages and old cottages have small letterboxes. They don't have the huge letterbox that would be required for a Sunday Times and possibly even the mail on Sunday at the same time. And so you'd be wedging these wretched papers in as best you could or leaving it on the doorstep. And then you'd head back to your two yellow, greying yellow bags on the floor, put the straps back on your shoulders and hoist them back up and go trundling off again. And that's what you did every day. Invariably, I'd be whistling. I was always pretty happy in the mornings, as you'd expect, having just glugged the cream off the top of the milk onto my cereal. I was pretty cheerful. And... I used to walk around the round whistling because I didn't. you didn't have a walkman, you didn't have anything else to do, so I would just be whistling and saying hello to anyone who was within earshot, which wasn't very many people at that time in the morning. And then one morning, one morning, as I was leaving a house, I'd been whistling, I whistled my way up the path, pushed the paper through the door, and whistled my way back. And the door opened, and I heard someone shout, something like, oi, paper boy, or oi, boy, or whatever it was. And of course, that's scary, because what could, well, normally what that means is you've cocked up the paper round. It usually means you've dropped the wrong paper in the door. And this, if you drop one wrong paper, it means there are at least two errors. So somewhere else, someone's got another wrong paper, particularly as this was towards the end of the round, and it would mean that I'd got it wrong. And you dreaded that because it meant going back to the post office, explaining that something was wrong and then just waiting, waiting for them to ring you up and tell you which one of the houses you'd got wrong and to take the appropriate kicking, metaphorically, of course. Um, so anyway, this door had opened and this is, oi! And so I spun round to my heel with a degree of trepidation and there's an old lady there and she's kind of beckoning to me. She's got a dressing gown and her slippers on at that time in the morning. She's beckoning me to... Um, come back. So I walked back up and said, yes, hello. <laughs> I'm sure her name was Mrs. Jones. I lived in Wales. It was bound to be Mrs. Jones. And she handed me with a big smile, a bag of apples, a huge bag of cooking apples. And I kind of looked at her slightly quizzingly, I think. And she said to me, she said, you're always happy. She said, whenever I hear you whistling, it makes me happy. It starts my day. And I'd like to say thanks. So here's a bag of apples. Now, <laughs> to a 13-year-old boy, I'm not entirely certain that a bag of sour cooking apples held much appeal. I mean, she could have given me a quid and told me to go and buy some chocolate. I'd have been very happy. So a bag of apples was not necessarily something that is really appealing. But it stuck with me. That moment 
even to this day, has stuck with me because someone gave me a gift. Now, all right, even if it was just a bag of apples and she probably scooped them out of her garden um, and she's probably looking for ways of getting rid of them because she, I don't know, maybe she owned several apple trees. I have no idea. But she gave me a gift for being cheerful. I did nothing more than be happy. And it made her happy because I was happy and she rewarded it. So the point of this podcast, well, we've had a couple of shoots this weekend and one, I mean, one of the families from us was from our village uh, and one couple drove halfway across the country for their shoot uh, and they're coming back later this week. Both uh, families coming back later this week to see their pictures. And at the end of each session, there was laughter and energy. Each of the sessions was memorable for them and for me. Each of those clients now and I, t- I said this to one of them, I said, welcome to our, welcome to the family. <laughs> you, know, you are, as far as I'm concerned now, you're a family member. You're a member of my business family. I mean, obviously not a real kind of, I'm going to offload my personal problems to you kind of friend or family, but nonetheless, part of our business family, someone who's brought joy into the studio and has left me with a smile and hopefully we've left them with memories in return. Someone who I'd love to see again. Although I have to say, as a footnote to that, it is definitely weird making friends like this and then not even being able to shake their hand as they leave. I suppose I could get some gloves. (laughs) We could do that, but I think that would be weirder. But as portrait photographers, professionals or otherwise, I think the majority of our role is to spread a little joy every day, creating moments and memories for everyone involved. If you're photographing, your job is to create some joy while you're photographing. If you're a mentor, your job is to enthuse and make someone's life just a little bit happier than it was before you started, even if your mentoring message is not a happy one, even if it's that some work is still to be done. When I'm critiquing, my job is to try and make sure we spread a little joy. That's our job. It's not enough. It is not enough to just create beautiful pictures, and nor should it be. It is not sufficient. To be given a couple of hours in someone's life to create something magical is a privilege, and in return, we should make it the most happiest and memorable time that we can. And that's where the warmth, in my opinion, that's where the warmth in an image comes from. For me, I think you can sense in a picture, whether the subject, whether the person in the picture was having a good time. Even if the picture's a, you know, an enigmatic, moody, dark picture, I still think you can sense whether someone was enjoying that session by the body language, the expression. There's something about a picture. The the true greats, I think, draw you in. And that's because they were giving the subject an experience that they too were enjoying. You can, that's not to say you can't do dark, moody, sombre pictures. It's just that you don't have to do it in a dark, moody and sombre way. Because at the end of the day, this is not method acting. We just, in a hundredth of a second or whatever the shot of speed is, for a split second, we create a moment and then we can go back to laughing. We can go back to having a good time. And in the end, in the end, it's memories that people buy. I've talked about this over and over and over. It's the memories of the joy and the laughter they experience during the shoot. As a family, as a couple or individually, it's the memories that truly matter. It's the joy 
that truly matters. And then and only then will pictures, the pictures that you create, have real value. Now, your reward might not be a bag of cooking apples. That's true. But it should be something far more profound. Clients who buy into you, they buy into your creativity, they'll buy into your heart, and ultimately, it'll show in your sales. So smile, be happy, be warm, be the person in the room that everyone wants to be around. Because it's not just good for you, it's good for your business as well. And as an aside, it's also a nicer way to live. And on that happy note, remember, be kind to yourselves. Take care.